Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One, two, three, four! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter. Coming up on the show this week, we are talking about how to be actively anti-racist. Yes, I know. We were talking about that about six months ago, but in case you've forgotten or it's got lost in the list of things to do, we've got some brilliant women talking about how we can be actively anti-racist. First up, Sophie Williams is author of Anti-Racist Ally, an introduction to action and activism. Uju Asika is the author of Bringing Up Race. She is funny and smart and warm and just everything you would want from somebody who is going to tell you how to talk to your kids and sometimes other people's kids about race. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Now, we like to talk about how we can be, well, just generally better people here on Badass Women's Hour. And one of the things particularly that we focus on is how we can ensure a fairer country for everyone, regardless of their gender, race, age, ethnicity, sexuality, everything else. Um, and we've talked a lot about how, as for me as a white woman, how I can be a better ally to the black community um, over the last few months. And particularly in June, July, August, over the summer where the Black Lives Matter movement was big and loud and we were all talking about it. And then what happens? There's a rise in coronavirus cases. Brexit comes back into the picture and it quietens down again. But we want to make sure here on this show that we keep talking to it. So now we're joined by Sophie Williams. She is the author of Anti-Racist Ally, an introduction to action and activism, which is essentially a guide to how do we go beyond saying I'm a really good person, I promise I'm not a racist, and actually enact that in our daily lives. Hi, Sophie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, So I have introduced this book as how to go beyond saying I'm not a racist. What actually does it mean to be an ally? So I think an ally can be sort of someone who uses their privilege to support and uplift various different groups. This book, Anti-Racist Ally, has a focus on race. And so it's about being actively anti-racist. And so... I think being I think not being racist is a passive state. It's about what you believe or what you don't believe. Whereas being anti-racist is an active state. It's about taking action and making or trying to make change in the world. How did you why did you decide to write this book? Ah, interesting. Okay. That was an accident, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so I already had a book deal and I was writing another book which is coming out next year called Millennial Black. Mm-hmm. And I had the um social handles for that to sort of spend the time building up a community 
um, because I didn't have any profile and I thought, okay, I'm going to need to build a community here. And then I, after the murder of George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and all of the sort of terrible things that happen to people whose names you don't even know, mm. I just felt really helpless. Um, mm. But my career has always been in social. And so I put out some posts about allyship and my account at that point had a couple of hundred followers and those posts, for some reason, something happened and I suddenly had 50, 60, now a few months later, 180,000 followers. Wow. And so I went to HarperCollins, who I already had the book deal with, and just said, I really want to take this conversation offline. I really want to be active in what mm -hmm. I'm doing because I have to also live what I'm trying to sort of encourage other people to do. And so because it was, it was a result, I guess, of my Instagram, because that conversation was happening and that audience was there, that I was able to take that message offline. And what are some of the things that we can do to be actively anti-racist? So the first thing that I generally ask people to do is recognise their privileges. Mm -hmm. And that can be sort of... Um, a jarring thing for people to hear because people can think, you know, my life hasn't been easy. Everything hasn't been handed to me. I'm not privileged. But we all have privileges. So I'm a black woman. So they're mm -hmm. two sort of societally marginalized positions. Yeah. But I am cisgender. I'm in a heterosexual relationship. I'm able-bodied. All of those things are privileges and they allow me to sort of have voices and sort of I express your privilege as the area where you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. And if you're not suffering in an area, then you have the chance to use that privilege to uplift people who are suffering in that area. So to be allies, I ask people to recognize where they're not suffering and then to look to those groups to sort of build on the history and the legacy of the work that they've already done to uplift them and to help them in the ways that they want to be helped. I think that is such a beautiful and inviting way of putting it because one of the things that I've run into a lot of times when I try and talk about this work and I talk to people and I say well there's a level of um, as a white person there's a level of white privilege and I sort of get pushed back with well hang on I grew up in a disadvantaged area or I haven't had it easy or things haven't always gone my way mm. and actually what you're saying there is recognizing that privilege is, sits on many different levels absolutely I'm not asking you to not talk about or be concerned with or be aware of the areas where you don't have it but also just to be aware of the areas where you do yeah absolutely we can and be really sorry yeah go on I'm sorry um we can be really sort of privileged in one area and really unprivileged or even oppressed in another area we're not sort of single people we're not sort of we're not made of single facets we all have intersectional identities so as I said you know my identity is blackness, womanness, you know, able-bodiedness, cisgenderness, all of those things stack on top of each other. And some of those things are societally uplifted and some of those are not. So we're not saying that if you're privileged, you're privileged in all areas or that everything has been easy for you because you're not just, I don't think anyone listening thinks they're just one thing. We're a whole sort of amalgamation of things that makes us us. One of the things that I think, I have struggled with in the last few months is feeling like am I doing enough am I yeah. am I doing the right thing and am I doing enough of it how do we how do we know is the answer to that question <laughs> like what is a good amount to be doing Sophie 
it's hard isn't it because we all have different again different areas of advantage and different areas of tolerance and different areas of privilege you're doing enough when you feel satisfied like the fight Mm. so many people ask me like how will we know when we've won and we won't I don't think we have to keep working every generation has to keep working so many people like I'm having the same conversations that my parents were having and my grandparents were having and their parents were having like it's not a one and done because if it was it would be done by now and Mm. so you do as much as you can you fight as hard as you can you take rests when you have to but it's an ongoing thing that we all have to just keep on working for because society isn't equal at this point um so we just have to keep trying to make it trying to do our little bit or whatever that looks like however much that is what is um for anyone listening right now what would be kind of one thing that you would say actually if you see this or if you hear this or if you wanted to do one thing that was going to be a proactive step towards um being an active ally and actually being anti-racist as well as being aware of your privilege what's one thing they can do so I think being aware of your privilege is the most important and the first step for other people um and I think and I don't mean for other people I mean for all people sorry and I think that I think that you need to understand that no one is asking you to reinvent the wheel no one's asking you to start from scratch there is a huge legacy of work from people generally from marginalized backgrounds who have been doing this work for generations so I'd really recommend just having a look at that work and learning about it trying to understand it not feeling like you have to sort of reinvent everything yourself Um, and then just understanding that a role of an ally really in whatever context we're talking about isn't to put yourself front and center but it's to learn about the conversations that the marginalized group that you're trying to help is having and to amplify that. Mm. We're not asking you to speak over it. We're not asking you to own that conversation or, or even push it forward. We're just asking you to amplify it, to raise up the voices of the people who are in those situations. Do you think we should be talking about the concept of privilege in schools? I don't know. Mm. Um I know I don't agree with sort of the conversation that's been had this week about um, about the conversations around race and privilege in schools. Because um, obviously this week um, there was a debate in the Commons about whether or not teachers can talk about the concept of white privilege in yeah. schools. And uh, Kemi Radnock, who's a Tory MP, was saying actually that shouldn't be allowed and it's kind mm. of borderline illegal because you're not teaching the curriculum. But I wonder if we have this conversation early on with kids, then Mm. perhaps it just becomes part of their lexicon and it takes some of the sting away that we see now when we talk about it with adults. Absolutely. I really, really encourage talking to children about it. Mm. When I said I don't know if it should be like a part of school, I didn't mean that it shouldn't be allowed in schools. Like I feel like it should absolutely be a part of things that people and teachers are allowed to sort of recognise the landscape of their school and their environment and address it in sort of a sensitive and appropriate way I think that's super important because so much research shows that children before the age of five start to form racially segregated racially racially motivated views because that's society that's the society that we bring them up in it's really I was really surprised as well um I mean that's so young it's so so young so like 
very, very early in their life, before that age, they start to recognize race. But from that sort of age, it's something I write about in, in my book, Anti-Racist <laughs> Ally, out now. Um, <laughs> it's something that I talk about in that book because by their time that they're sort of that age, sort of four or five, they've started to associate power differentials with different races of people and starting to try to align themselves within those power differentials. Mm. So it's not that people are too young to have those conversations. It's just I'm not certain at the moment that the majority of teachers themselves are equipped to have those conversations. But I would really like to sort of encourage and empower teachers to have those conversations and certainly not discourage it. Sophie, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Sophie Williams there is author of Anti-Racist Ally, an introduction to action and activism, talking about recognising your privilege uh, and also talking about how we talk about it with young people. And coming up, my next guest is an absolute specialist in that uh, she's literally written the book on it so if you're not sure to how how to talk to your kids about race about racism uh, or if your kids have done that really awkward thing of being unintentionally racist and you don't know what to say she has got the answers for you that's next here on badass women's hour excel when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. Hello and welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter. Now, we talk a lot about race and how we address the inequalities in our society on this show. But even I, who talks about it every week, get it wrong all the time because, well, it's new and we're learning and I'm trying to be better. But actually, we're bringing up a whole new generation who we could just teach this to now so they don't have to worry about it. And my next guest is going to tell us how. Uju Asika is the author of Bringing Up Race, which is all about how you talk to your children about race, racism and their role in society. Hi, Uju. Hiya, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. 
Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about Bringing Up Race and why you decided to write it. Uh, yeah, so Bringing Up Race is subtitled How to Raise a Kind Child in a Prejudiced World. Mm-hmm. And it's a subject that's very close to my heart. Obviously, I'm a black mum raising two boys in Britain, which mm-hmm. um, I would say is a country where race has been a very prominent feature in its history and yet um, it's not that much spoken about at least until this summer obviously we've had a big uprising over the summer and there's been a lot of conversation that has begun um, so we're only at the tip of it but um, I really wanted to start conversations that's kind of the focus of the book is just to get people to open up and especially with their kids I think certainly lots of the white parents I know really want to talk to their kids about race but are concerned that they themselves don't know enough to get it right and Mm. that they don't really know when to start the conversations, how to start the conversations. What is some advice in the book that certainly around the kind of how and when that you think is important? Right. Well, I'll start with the when. Mm. And for me, the when is right now, as yeah. soon as you can, before your kids are born. <laughs> um, if, you, if your kid's already born, start now. Even if you have a baby, if you have a toddler, just start talking. Um, you don't have to have a big, long, heavy lecture about race and racism Mm. just start by asking simple questions you know open up the conversation if your child is a toddler or as sort of around preschool age they might have questions about things like skin color or hair Mm -hmm. so just be very open and honest and if you don't know something then you can just say oh you know let's find that out together or let me Mm -hmm. look into that and I'll come back to you but the most important thing is to have the conversation and the reason I say start as early as possible is because studies as I um, mentioned in the book like studies have shown that babies as young as three months old are noticing ethnic differences so your baby can see race like they can see that people look different and they're inevitably going to have questions once they're old enough to speak so as a parent your best thing really is to just sort of take the ball by the horns and go for it and don't worry if it's uncomfortable that's that's just normal I mean that's so interesting because three months to be able to kind of see I guess ethnic differences at three months that's way earlier than I would have assumed do they do you think children understand about the concept of privilege and racism earlier than we think definitely definitely I think because Um, By the time your kid gets to around two or three, uh, again, there have been lots of studies on this, and kids are already starting to show what's called in-group favoritism, where they sort of sort themselves into groups and they decide which group they prefer, and they tend to pick a group that is more like them, and they tend to have very sort of blanket opinions about, you know, certain groups like because they have very simple ways of reasoning and figuring out the world but the reality is that your kid is picking up 
cues about racism and race from all around you. They're learning about who lives where, yeah. who drives what cars, who works in certain jobs, um, who teaches them at school. There's so many messages that are coming at them from all directions, mm. which they might not be able to process, but they, they definitely can see and they're aware of. So it's really important to start guiding them through these kinds of conversations. As a black mother, how do you talk about race with your children? What are some of the things that you want them to be aware of? Yeah, I think for me, it's really mostly when I talk about race with my Mm. kids, I tend to focus on the positive. Because I think when we talk about race, very often there's a whole big focus on the negative. And especially for black families and Mm -hmm. families of color, you're often on the defensive, you're often trying to protect your child from a world that, you know, is going to judge them for the color of their skin or for the way they talk or what their name is. Um, But I try to keep it positive, to celebrate, really celebrate who they are and where they come from and their culture, not just as, I mean, I'm born in Nigeria, so Mm -hmm. they are Nigerian by you know by my by my ancestry but they're also British they're black British there's so many elements and layers that go into who they are so I really try and focus on that and keep that conversation open so that if they have any questions or if they have any difficulties or concerns they can always come to come to me and come to their dad and we can sort of talk our way through it if we can. Have you or do you think you will have to talk them through racial bullying yes unfortunately that has already come up um for them I think my youngest was I'm trying to think he's probably about seven when it happened and my my eldest so they're they're now 11 and 14 and um unfortunately they've had an incident and it was outside the school with another boy from the school and um, it was dealt with really well by the school um, but it was certainly a difficult thing as a parent to realize that no matter what you say or what you do they're still going to have to confront these issues when they leave the house so I think for me it was just to explain to them that a it's not about them really that's the thing with racism and mostly any type of bullying it's not actually about the victim it's more about power and about whatever is going on with the person who is doing the bullying so we were able to sort of talk it through and um discuss. I mean sadly when one of the the issues and I wrote about it in the book um was the the other kid calling my boys saying that they had fat lips which they didn't even understand as a racial slur so it was another mum who had witnessed it um who picked it up and then brought it to my attention and that's how we followed up with the school so there's stuff that happens that they're not even aware that it's like a racial thing but they they pick it up you know they feel it so um yeah it's it's a difficult one and I think for kids it's always just you know, any point of difference, isn't it? That's what we become we're yes. so aware of as kids. Any way that we're different right? feels so exactly. different, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the message of the book is mm. that you've got to teach your kids and encourage your kids and guide your kids to really embrace difference yeah. and, 
you know, not just, it's not just about sort of tolerance and acceptance. It's about actually embracing and being really, really comfortable and joyful about diversity. It's such a wonderful thing. I mean, it really is amazing for me. That's, that's kind of the miracle of diversity is just how very different everybody is. And yet in many ways, we're all the same. So <clears throat> that's something that's really important to teach kids and kids can pick that up from when they're really young. So, <clears throat> yeah. How do we teach kids not to be, not to be cruel? Because you know, this is this is almost a, a cliche, isn't it? That kids are cruel, right? That mm. they don't almost sometimes understand the impact of what they're saying. They're just jockeying for position. They're yeah. trying to assert themselves in the world. How do we raise kinder children? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, I've got, like I said, I've got two boys and <laughs> majority of the days they're just like <laughs> beating each other up, and, you know, and I'm like waving my book around like, look, <laughs> I'm trying to raise a kind child in a precious world. And they might just sort of use it as another weapon. Um, no, the thing is, like you said, kids are kids and they will be kids. And I think as parents as well, you know, you're not going to, even you as a parent are not going to be constantly using your kind words and (laughs) being the the model of perfect behavior but um, I think the thing is just to keep shifting their focus so uh, no matter what's happening you can still always come back to what are your core values if your core values are kindness then no matter how many times I'll have, (laughs) so there's a quote that I have from, I used to write down stuff that the boys said when they were younger. And um, my eldest Ezra, he (laughs) he has this quote about Jed and it makes me laugh because it captures just exactly their relationship. And so Ezra said, um, he said, Jed is a very kind boy. He has kindness at his heart. If you beat him up, he will forgive you. (laughs) If you, if you almost break his head, he will still forgive you. <laughs> he is very kind. And that to me is kind of, you know, that's what captures it in a nutshell for me. Like at the end of the day, their relationship is solid. <laughs> Even though I spend my days like trying to like referee their various arguments, I know that, you know, at the core of who they are is kindness. And I know that when they go out into the world and when they interact with like their peers and their friends, they, they behave kindly, they're not cruel people. And so it's, it's really a practice. I mean, that's what it is. Kindness is a mm-hmm. practice. So um, we used to practice doing one kind thing every day, just one kind thing, just start there and just keep it going. So I, um, I wanted to ask you what parents should do when their child does the thing that we all sort of dread, which is they say something in all their childish innocence, which is mm. fundamentally racist. Right. And you're there going, <laughs> oh my God, what do I do? How do I make yeah. this better? Um, what is your advice there? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, just take a moment, take a breath. <laughs> it's it's completely normal. And if, even if you panic, you know, I always say if you have a panicky response, I wrote about an incident with my boys in, in, in the book. And it's like, I just had a complete panic and I freaked out. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, don't say that. Do not, you know. And uh, the thing is, if uh, 
asking a question, then you want to respond to their question and just be open and be direct and keep it simple. Um, try not to encourage sort of rudeness, like if your child is yeah. speaking really loudly about people or if they're pointing about people, that is just plain rude and that yeah. doesn't have anything to do with race or anything. So these are conversations you can have either in the moment or afterwards to say, you know, listen, it's not nice to, to point or to say loud things about or, about other people. Yeah. Um, but if it's just a question or if it's a comment that, you know, that panics you a little bit. I think the, the main thing is just to acknowledge their curiosity however you can. Mm-hmm. So like if your child, you know, kids will be like, oh, wow, that, 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 you know, that girl is very brown or something. Mm-hmm. And you can say, yes, she is brown. And, yeah. you know, what color are you? What color am I? And, and then, you know, decide at that moment as well that you're going to have more conversations later because yeah. it's just showing that your child is curious and there's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> And even if they do say something that is outright racist, again, you can check it. You can say to them, no, that's not a kind thing to say. Um, We'll talk about this more when we get home. And then when you get home, do go into what racism is. I think there's a lot of fear and confusion and worry about how to talk with your kids about race and whether your kids are old enough to learn about racism. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, you can talk to even the smallest child you know, um, some kids are too young, they're, they're very, very young. So you can talk about, like, that's just not kind, or that's yeah. just not fair. But if they're old enough to understand that, listen, you don't say things about people, because they look mm. different from you or sound different from you, then you can just have those conversations and keep having those conversations. Like, it's not a one time thing. Do you think in the past year that parents and schools have become more aware of how they talk about race and racism with their children? Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm really excited about, I keep calling it a moment because it really is a moment in in history, (laughs) certainly in Western history. Um, And unfortunately, it's come on the back of a lot of pain and a lot Mm. of trauma and a lot of struggle. But it's it's a moment where people are actually listening mm. and deciding to take action upon themselves. So it's no longer that a race is a black thing or it's something for minorities to worry about. It's like this is a community effort and everyone has to get involved. I do really, really hope that schools become even more involved because there's so much work to do in education across the board, not just from the curriculum, which needs a whole lot of work in terms of teaching proper black history and about racism and what race is, but just, you know, in terms of staff training, um, you know, just basic, like even parent teacher forums, there's a lot of things that can be done. So I'm hoping that, that things will move forward. As a black mother, do you get a lot of white mothers asking you, how do I talk to my kids about race? And how do you, if so, how do you feel about that? (laughs) Well, interestingly, because I I started writing the book um, end of last year, so even before this current current climate, and it was only really from telling people that I was writing the book 
that then people would come to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that I had different reactions because, like, you know, the black moms, if I tell, like, a black friend of mine or an Asian friend of mine, like, I'm writing yeah. a book about race, and they'd be like, oh, my goodness, you know, I've got so many stories for you, and, you know, let me tell you this. And then the, the my white friends, you know, some of them would be like, oh, very interesting. And then some of them would be like, sidle up to me. Actually, I've got this question for you. And what do I do? And how can I? And the thing is, you know, I myself, I mean, someone said to me, oh, you are an expert now, but I wouldn't call me, I'm not like a race academic, I'm not an expert. And the thing is, you know, black people and brown people, mm-hmm. we're not race experts. Yeah. We've just had to, we've just had to deal with racism. So we're coming at it also very often from kind of a defensive angle. And, you know, my message to all parents, black, brown, wherever, is just to come at it from a positive and proactive angle so that we're not always having to sort of be on the back foot or be on the defensive or wonder about what to do next. Like we, we kind of feel more in control and feel more like we are uh, open and embracing of, of, you know, race is such a weird thing because <laughs> as I talk about in the book, it's really, it's like a, it's a, it's a fiction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a construct. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. It's something that was made up to control mm. and, um, you know, for really for an economic incentive on the whole. But at the same time, the mm. diversity of humanity is just amazing and incredible and wonderful and potentially enriching. And so those are the kinds of conversations that I would love us all to be having. I think your book is going to start many of them. Uji, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it's such, you know, when you just talk to somebody and you know that their book is going to be great and you can't wait to read it. Um, Bringing Up Race is out now by Uju Esika. If you have got kids, and or even if you're thinking of having kids, I think it is a must read. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chats. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.